This week's episode is brought to you by Nachos, something Tyson Berry is going to get real familiar with over the next week. Now it's our turn to, uh, sorry for the words, but put our balls on the table. How do you like that, man, folks, Gilmore? And after 22 years, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph Faust, you're locked into the Mile High Hockey Podcast for October 19th, 2015. Um, even though it'll be up on October 18th, 2015. We're hitting 88 miles an hour today. Coming up on the show, the roller coaster is really real. One half has a shutout in his pick and egg basket, and another has a four-game goal streak. But neither are who you think. Checking in with the Rampage, and we take a look at Barry's suspension. But before we play the whoosh, say hello to your disembodied voices of the week. Joining us from BSN is Cheryl Bradley. Welcome back, Cheryl. Yeah, she's the robot one, I guess. Um, I'm sure that'll that'll end. That just happens every once in a while. Hello again to Earl06. Hello. We ran out of intro. Whoosh. High quality stuff today. Cheryl, your voice is better, right? Uh, my voice was not good. There you are. Yeah, you kind of, your hello was kind of... Oh. So after several days off, the Boston Bruins came to Denver and laid down the hurt as the Avs fall 6-2. They were outshot and outgoalied as Simeon Varlamov would get chased after the fifth goal, having given up five on 19 shots. Landis Gog and John Mitchell both scored, but not until the game was well out of reach, and Red Obera stopped all five shots he faced in garbage time relief. So... With Varley currently at a sub-850 save percentage, Wathru Berra his first start of the season, and he shined. Avs win 3-0 on Friday over the Anaheim Ducks, who mm, mysteriously still haven't managed a single goal from their forwards. Nathan McKinnon scores on the first shot of the game, 5-hole on Anaheim's Fre- Frederick Anderson. Goal so soft it belongs at a petting zoo. And later, after an absolutely monstrous individual shift, and a good one overall from the fourth line, Jack Skilly gets his first in a uniprint. And John Mitchell brings home the empty netter. It's his fourth in four games because, obviously. So this was the debut of Mikhail Grigorenko, who played all of sixteen or six minutes and 19 seconds, that is, on the fourth line with McLeod and Skilly. We also saw Gannon rejoin the roster after being scratched to make way for Brad Stewart against Boston. Win's always good, but the Avalanche also saw more than 70 shot attempts come their way on Friday night. So tell me what you guys have taken away from two games so far this week. I've honestly put the Boston game out of my mind. There really isn't anything you can take out of that game except don't do anything like that again. (laughs) Um, As far as the Ducks game goes, I mean, you know, the 41 blocked shots we supposedly had, yeah, they were in our zone a lot and, um, you know, they were firing at the net. But I I think that's a little home cook in there. I mean, they might have been counting blocked passes too maybe. Um, I just – I didn't see that many attempts <clears throat> as far as, you know, opportunities for us to block 41 shots. I think um, it was like 30-some blocks and then – some misses as well. I think it's 41 yeah. shots not on goal is what that number was. Okay. That might have been both even and all strengths. Nope, that's even. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's the beginning of the season and everyone's learning to work with each other, so sometimes you have to win an ugly one. And, you know, kind of both our, our wins have been ugly so far, so, you know, maybe we're not getting better possession-wise, but... Until that happens, you know, you've got to eke these out. It worries me. Um, I know it's still early in the season and I'm not ready to throw in the towel or jump off the cliff or anything like that. But I think that there just continues to be this bad pattern of we're not going to worry about how many shots come towards us. We're just going to make sure they don't get in the net. And I'm starting to believe it's a coaching philosophy and that, that Wa has stated, let's not worry about whether or not they're getting the shots off. Let's just worry about stopping those shots and getting and transitioning to the offense. And if that's his thought process, that that's very disconcerting. 
So that so that that brings us pretty quickly to a question written in from Do Not Feed the Octopus. The possession numbers are worse despite roster upgrades, at least what should be roster upgrades. Um, score adjusted right now, the Avalanche are at 39.8% uh, Corsi 4, which is beyond historically bad. If it, I mean, it's four games. Uh, it's four games against a few reasonably strong possession teams, so there's some salt to take with that, but it's still really, really bad. It is bad, but all right. I know we shouldn't use this too much, but we needed to confirm the stats. What from the eye test is going wrong there? You know, what are, what are you guys seeing that is leading to the, the possession numbers being so skewed? Other than just the same old thing. Well, what is the same old thing for you? Uh, the same old thing is, you know, what Cheryl was describing is, you know, let them come in and shoot, but don't have it you know, don't have them be near the net or be in the danger areas. And I know that the dangerous scoring chances are up anyway, so that's not happening. I think that might be some of it. Um, there's also the the team seem to be focusing less on entering the zone with possession, I think. Uh-huh. Um, there seems to be a really disconcerting amount of dump-ins going on. Um, even from guys who historically have been really good at carrying the puck in the zone, like Matt Duchesne. Um, it's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of, if, if any of you have seen, um, Jen LC's stuff from the RIT hockey analytics conference last week, she talked about meaningful possession a little bit, I think. If she didn't, someone did. <clears throat> and the, we've seen Colorado have the puck in the offensive zone and get, no shot attempts at all because they're just being pushed to the outside the entire time. So I think that's keeping the shots for down quite a bit, but their shots against are atrocious right now. That's still the main problem. I mean, is it, is it a time thing or is it a, a defense thing? I mean, it, you know, is this being caused by the offense or by the defense it, it, just from the eye test? I would say that it's a little bit of both. What would you say, yeah. Cheryl? I agree. I was just going to say I think it's both. I, I I honestly can't say, you know, point my finger at something and say this is what's causing it. And I guess that's what is so frustrating about it is that I don't see a very clear-cut culprit in this situation. All I know is that it's happening and it it is very reminiscent of last year and it makes me you know concerned like I said before um I don't I I yeah I don't I don't know what the problem is and I don't know what the answer is because I can't determine the problem one thing I'm seeing a lot of is is a lot of turnovers all over the ice but a lot in the defensive zone and definitely a lot in the neutral zone um the neutral zone strategy going forward it just doesn't seem to be working. I mean, the, the forward support has always been bad, but it, it just seems even worse now. But it just seems like even if the defensemen have the puck and are ready to make a pass that no one is open or that when they get the puck, there's two guys on them right away, it, you know, probably wasn't the right pass to make. And it's just going back to the other team. That's something that we're seeing quite a bit. Um, when the Avalanche actually do get the puck back in their own zone. We're seeing guys standing around behind the net waiting for help that just doesn't come. Um, we're seeing Tyson Berry fend off two four-checkers in the corner single-handedly because his uh, forward line have all just kind of shifted off, and his D partner is where he should be, but they have no help. So he, yeah. so yeah, his, yeah. his where he should be moved, but... Yeah, you can cover one guy easily. If he has one option and that's his defensive partner, that's like having no options. Um, I know Wall wants to push the play, but you, you can't have all three forwards fly the zone. I mean, you know, it's good to have one guy up forward in case something, you know, you can get a, a long pass out to somebody. But the center and the, and the other wing should really be back in support. 
and uh, you know they got better at that towards the end of last year but it's it's right back to being everybody's just gone when the, when they get the puck again and that was something that i noticed on a power play i don't remember which game it was um but even even on a power play matt duchene is like doing matt duchene things below the goal line like stick handling between three defenders <laughs> um alone yep. For some reason, yeah, you're five yeah. on four, and you're letting Matt Duchesne go one on three because I I don't know because why what's going on here? No, I think I remember the exact play you're talking about versus Anaheim. You know, you know, it's great to watch for five seconds, but you know, it, it's ultimately pointless. And then you see the fan responses. Duchesne spins around on the power play and falls down, and that's just so frustrating. He, yeah, that that wasn't Duchesne's fault. No, I mean, if there's three guys on one guy, well, you know, two guys have to be open at least. <laughs> three on the power play. You had Mitchell in front of the net, which is probably where he has been told to be. Uh, that second power play unit is just such a drop-off. It, it needs better scoring talent on it. Just yeah. having, you know, saying that Mitchell is, is on the power play, Alone. I mean, yeah, I know he's got four goals, but he's still Mitchell and he should not be on the power play. We should have the talent to have somebody else be in that spot. And I don't think we don't. Well, I mean, if you use four forwards on your first power play unit, I mean, you're using up top six guys pretty quick. Because who is that? Is the top uh, the top unit? Is that the McKinnon line, like all of it? It's the McKinnon line plus Iggy, I think. And then uh, Barry, you know, Iggy and Barry on the points. And then, so that next line is Duchesne and Spare Parts. Yeah, Como, Mitchell, Tangs. Well, no, Tangay should be with the McKinnon line. Yeah, that's right. Um, but, I mean, that's where we should be able to utilize, you know, maybe Miko Rantanen, maybe uh, Grigorenko. Maybe, maybe even somebody who like Jack Skilly over, over Mitchell. Maybe at times we'll see. Well, and when you're talking the first power play unit, why don't you have Zadorov out there with Barry instead of four forwards? And then you can use a real top six line for your second unit. Exactly. Um, you know, and, and you know, just to go back to the second unit. I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of Rendulich's game, but. You know, if ever you were going to put him out, that's where he's going to actually work well. Power play. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, at least give that a try, and he never got a shot. So, so far, everything we've brought up has been coaching issues, and I'm going to bring up another one. Um, forward usage in general has been, uh, what's the positive word for it? Top heavy? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a positive spin on it. <laughs> We're seeing six to eight minutes for people like Grigorenko and Rantanen and uh, Rindulitz, like you mentioned. Even though uh, we saw Grigorenko come in for Rindulitz on Friday, Mitchell filled up into the third line. Um, they, they're, it's players who, uh, obviously, you're kind of trying to ease into your roster a little bit, but we're also seeing the Avalanche fall uh, like, like when it's not a tied situation, it's like Patrick Wall doesn't trust him to protect a lead, and he doesn't trust him to go get a lead either. So, that's fairly chronic, though. I mean, it's been like that for for two years leading yeah. up into the season. Um, I mean, I understand the apprehension of putting a rookie, you know, in a situation that maybe you the coach isn't comfortable with, but you know he's never going to become comfortable with using Miko in a tough situation if he never plays him in tough situations. And that goes for anyone else that comes up too. And that's why um, the second half of Octopus's question, is this a reason for legit concern or an adjustment period? This is why I think this is a reason for legit concern because it's, it's such a longstanding chronic issue that, it dates back to here's why we have sixth attacker Cody McLeod because that's who the coaching staff trusts and it may not be the right guy but it's the guy that they trust to play safely 
And I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I don't believe you win in the NHL by playing not to lose. Well, clearly, because any time the Avs start playing not to lose, they lose. You know, case in point, the World game. It's, you know, I don't know what it takes for Patrick and the staff to be comfortable with somebody and to, to gradually up their minutes. I mean, Everberg's the only person that we've seen come in as a, a you know, rookie, if you want to call him that, and, and sort of earn time to get up on higher lines. Um, doesn't mean it's not going to happen, but it, it's definitely not happening now. Well, it would certainly help Rentman's case if Wah played him at his natural position. He looks so lost out there at times, and I think that has everything to do with playing him on the left instead of the right. I just don't think it's fair to him to be doing this. I mean, it's one thing to take McKinnon, take a center, and move a center to a wing. That That's a, a much easier transition because a center can't play that side. I mean, the center is, is more of a rover, you know, this, and, but then to take somebody completely put them on their opposite side, I, I just don't agree with it. I think that it's, it's detrimental to Rantanen. I don't know. I've heard, I've heard he plays both sides in, in Finland. Um, but you know, you want him on the strong side. I mean, he's a rookie, he's 18. Um, you know, the problem seems to have solved itself for the moment with him playing on Duchesne's line for the moment and, you know, Rendulich out and Gerdarenko in. It's kind of, you know, even some things out on the bottom. I, I think the the line he was on with, with Soderberg and Rendulich was was awful. It was, it was a poor thought. It was sort of everybody that's left, we'll throw him here and see what happens. And, you know, strangely enough, nothing good happened. Yeah, Wall seems to be pretty happy with Rantanen on the Duchesne line, and maybe that will help uh, stabilize the ice time for Rantanen over time, but that means we're, for a while we're also going to be seeing Blake Como getting double-shifted between the first and the third line, depending on the situation and how much faith the coaching staff have in playing the rookie, the 18-year-old rookie. Um, but that also brings us to... Um, this is, this show's getting negative quick, isn't it? Um, to, to Soderberg and also to Tangay as being my biggest disappointment so far this season. Yeah, I don't know what's up with Tangay. It's been shocking how bad he's been. He's definitely listless out there. I don't know what to make of it. Um, I don't know. I'll fall back on maybe he's hurt. <laughs> <laughs> If he's hurt in October, I really hope he wouldn't be playing. Yeah. <laughs> There's no reason to tank his entire season. Um, yeah. He's he, what was it? Three, four stick penalties in Anaheim. Yeah, I mean he's just turning into PA overnight now. Yeah, he's. I don't know what is up with him. I don't know if he's finally hitting the wall or what it is, but it's not been good. And Soderberg hasn't exactly been put in a situation to really you know, overwhelmingly succeed, obviously being put between the two R's and spending some time on the fourth line. Um, but he hasn't shown a whole lot yet either. Um, that might be an adjustment thing, or it might be a <clears throat> might be a what is this fit kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a wildly different system than what he played in Boston. So, you know, it, it, it's understandable to give him a few games to get into it. Plus, playing with the rookies was, you know bullshit so i'll give him a few more games but <clears throat> uh, tangay i don't know maybe he's a slow starter like iggy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what it is yeah. you know they're all slow starters I, one of the things i do wonder about is this transition to being a more physical team that Wah is definitely pursuing. He wants a fast physical team. Is Tangi having a hard time with the physical aspect of that? In addition to him slowing down, now he's expected to be much, much more of a hitter because the whole team is expected to be like that. Is that 
causing him difficulties? And is he, is that translating into doing things like, you know, tripping and, and slashing and all that stuff that he shouldn't be doing, but he doesn't, he's having a hard time transitioning into being more physical. I mean, that, that definitely could be it. I, I look at stick penalties as being lazy penalties and it's, you know, Every, well, every time a player gets a, a stick penalty, they know the coach is going to yell at him because it's usually because you got beat and the only thing left was your stick. Yeah. It doesn't have to be lazy. I mean, it could be... Well, um, it's lack of speed or... Yeah, you know. I mean, it, it could be slowness. It could be um, that you're just behind the play for one reason or another. It may have nothing to do with you. Um, but for the most part, yeah, lazy works. <laughs> So then is this a situation of him just starting to feel his age? I hope not. I mean, he's just so skilled. He can do so much that, you know, you hope that he can continue to contribute at least for this year. Um, and, you know, it'd be nice if it was even beyond this year, but if, you know, if he really is losing his legs, then, you know, this is, this is going to be tough. I mean, it, it could be that it could be that he might be a little bit miscast. Um, on a line that's getting started as defensively as McKinnon's line is, they're getting comp- they're, they're getting seriously run over um, in terms of the shot differentials, but they're also it's also the Duchesne line that's getting a lot of the more protected starts. So it's it's McKinnon's line that's seeing the toughs, whether they're on the road or at home, it doesn't seem to matter. They're seeing the toughs, and so I don't I don't know if maybe that's a little bit beyond where Tangay is at at this point in his career or if he's miscast in the defensive zone. I mean, that that could be part of it, too. I, it may be a combination of all of it. Or maybe none of, the, maybe none of those. I may be as off as you could possibly be. And, and another thing, he's playing right wing, and I know he's, he's played both in his career, but, you know, he's definitely more of a left wing. So, I mean, let's throw that in there. We can give him plenty of excuses if we think long enough. So is that what we want to call this, the excuse cast? (laughs) (laughs) Excuses for a 500 team. (laughs) Well, uh, behind the curtain moment, we were hoping to have Mike tonight, um, but we don't. So we're going to have to address this without him. Um, So when when, uh, Austin Manick asked a bunch of questions before the uh, before the season, he asked, you know, who will the Avalanche MVP be? And my first thought was that if it's not Semyon Varlamov, the team's in trouble. Um, so far, it has not been Semyon Varlamov. Something is not right there. What is going on? <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I, I really think, you know, Mike would be able to shed light on it just because it seems to be a technical thing. You know, if I, if I had to take a wild guess, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that he's either not seeing the puck well enough or not tracking it for some reason. And, I mean, yeah, he's getting beat high glove side like everybody else. And he's a little out of position at times. But Would you say that's the book on him? Would you say the book is to go <laughs> high glove? The book glove? on him is shoot high on the glove side, you bet. Um, but, it, yeah, it just it, it seems like he's, you know, just a little bit late, just a little bit off. You know, I, I I don't think it's huge. Well, we saw um, second goal, I think, to Boston, where he makes the glove save, but he doesn't catch it. He just, like, blocks it right out in front of him, and it goes right back behind him. Yeah. Um, that was a real eyebrow raiser for me, because that's a if, – if the puck hits Varley's glove, it stays there. It doesn't get blocked. He's not a James Reimer who's got a blocker on each hand. This, <laughs> I mean, he is—he has a glove, and on that—that that one he didn't. That one to me was, I lost the track on it, yeah. one way or another. No, I mean, when I was watching that game, it just seemed like he—you know—he just wasn't following the puck like he—he he usually has. I, you know, but I couldn't tell you why it's happening. Maybe it was. I, I, Maybe we should just blame Brad Stewart for that. I'm sure blame, he's on the ice, you know. <laughs> blame Stewart. That 
that's a pretty easy fallback. Hey, we played Brad Stewart and we lost by four, so damn it, Brad. <laughs> we'll see you next year. <laughs> uh, we, we meant to put Brad Stewart in the lineup and we put in Bad Stewart. Damn it. <laughs> I knew there was something. <laughs> but fortunately enough, um, Red O'Bara continues to have not given up a goal since last April. <clears throat> 180 like, minutes or something right now? Something like that, yeah. He's earned a start tonight against L.A., which will be last night, as most of you listen. So you'll, I'm sure we'll get lots of nice jinx tweets tomorrow. <laughs> I, you know, I think he played good, but, you know, the, the fact that the Ducks haven't scored yet, you know, one, one goal in four games, um, you know... Cheryl and I witnessed a team that has lost four in a row and can't score with the Grand Rapids Griffins this weekend. And it just, you know, a snake bit team like that, they may look like they're shooting good, but they're not. And, you know, maybe it was a little easier for Barra to do that, but um, I'm not going to take anything away from him. He had a good game, but to start any goalie controversy over it. Nope. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, but I, I just, I think of that sequence at the end of the second period where you see Haglin put like two in a row at point blank right off the pad. You see Ryan Getzloff have a four by six and hit the post. I mean, yeah, it's, no, it was wide open. I'm just looking at it like, God, I could have put that in. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, pass it to five. He'll hit it. But that's, uh, that's just, uh, that's when you know your team's struggling when they're, when those chances aren't going, you're just like, Jesus Christ, let's, what does it take? Yeah, Haglund's was ridiculous. I mean, Yogi was on the other side of the net. I mean, it was like there was one place you could have shot it and he would have made the save. <laughs> so, uh, very well done to Barry earning the shutout. But with every shutout, there's going to be some luck involved. And on that sequence, there was definitely some luck involved. And then Tangay takes penalty number, I think, two. We'll see what happens with the Kings with Barra. Hopefully, he's uh, he's able to continue being this decent tier backup and uh, able to fill in and get the job done like he has been for the last few months of his career. I mean, we know he's kind of a guy who seems to go up and down, like emotionally. So, um, hopefully, as long as he stays up, he can continue to play confidently and stop pucks for us. Cause kind of need it. Um, because we're seeing a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, it's not bad in the start of the year to have your backup take a couple of games like this and get some confidence. And, you know, that way, you know, a couple of weeks from now when he comes back in, he has this to fall back on and say, yeah, I can do this. Yeah, I think that there, I don't know, maybe, maybe something switched in him. And, you know, maybe some of it has to do with, working with Francois, but I definitely think that ending the season the way it did gave him a boost. And without confidence, Barra is crap. With confidence, you've got a goaltender that can that can stop pucks. He's writing that confidence. So let's keep doing it. Let's as long as he is succeeding, I think this is a prime case of writing your hot goaltender. No, there isn't a goalie controversy, but allowing Barra to continue to build up that confidence and take advantage of it in order to get the wins, I think is a is a perfect scenario for Barra usage. So if he wins tonight, should he play against the Hurricanes? What what day is it on? Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. I want Varley back in at least again um, by Saturday against the Blue Jackets. Um, They're really good. Yeah, that, that's a confidence builder right there. Columbus or I don't know what's going on. Um, it seems to be Brandon Sod and nobody. But I don't know. The Wednesday starter, I agree, definitely has to depend on what happens tonight. Um, whether it's Barra or Varley is going to depend on how shelled Barra gets and how he handles it. Um and what's going on off the rink with, with Farley, whether he's starting to uh, maybe practice better or maybe there's something going on with this game that he's working with with Francois and he shows like, hey, this is getting patched. Let's let's give it a go against Carolina. Because Carolina's 
believe it or not, this may surprise you, they're not great either. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> they're no Columbus, but yeah, they're not. Yeah, that that's that's Pierre's favorite teams right there, <laughs> Columbus and Carolina. I had a thought about Barley, and I, I have no idea what the answer is. So I'm coming to you guys with this. Uh, what's the status on the um, civil suit against him? Do you, is there a possibility that that's getting in his head right now? I have no idea on that. I have no idea on that either. I didn't know there was still an existing civil suit. I Boy, that went away, didn't it? Yeah, the last I the last I heard there was, um, but that was in the summer. I don't know what's happened between then and now. Well, you'd think if there had been some kind of resolution that it would have made its way through the through the news, right? You would think. Like, even if it's a, there was a settlement and there's a non-disclosure agreement on the settlement. Like, that would be, that would be announced. You would yeah. think. It would at least make its way to the, uh, to the beat writers somehow. Yeah, I mean, even if the, the, the terms are not disclosed, that there's a public record that there was a settlement. Maybe that's my research project tomorrow is to go check out the public records. On this, see what the status is. Well, let us Cheryl know. Cheryl Bradley, paralegal. Yeah. <laughs> Cheryl P.I. Let us know if you find anything there. I don't know if you will or not. I will definitely let you know if I do. If anything else, maybe we can at least find out what's going on with it because we didn't know that it that it existed. Like, the, uh, the, the national opinion on that Varley case seems to kind of be, well, that sure went away, didn't it? Um, and I thought... You know, that's because you, they don't follow it as closely as we do. But no, apparently there's still something going on. And that sure went away, didn't it? Okay. Um, well, that brings us to another unhappy topic, completely rela relatedly. Tyson Berry. Um, comes in late, comes in high, hits a uh, shoulder to the face on, a, on Simone Dupre, who I probably didn't pronounce right, but he is like six inches taller than one Tyson Berry. So, that's a late hit, that's a high hit, that's a three-game suspension. Any disagreements? I, I don't have I disagree any disagreements. with the length. Yeah, I disagree with the length, too. He's a first-time offender. He hasn't been fined. He hasn't been suspended. He hasn't even been investigated. I don't, I don't get why they immediately jumped to three games on this one. Yeah, it, it seems to be punishment for the sake of punishment. I mean, if you're, if you're trying to sort of modify people's behavior and get them to not hit people in the face with their shoulder pads, <laughs> then, then penalize more people for less games. I mean, you know, wh whether Barry gets one, two, or three games, it all sucks kind of the same. It just sucks more for Avalanche fans because it's three. But, you know, if, if they sort of suspended more people for the same kind of thing, but you don't need to do it for more games because I don't think that, you know, three versus two is a deterrent. So, you know, I'd rather see more people suspended for less time. Okay, that's that's a fair enough argument. I think the uh, the standard all year is going to be, well, Dustin Brown got away with a head, headbutt. Right. Um, I don't have a whole lot of issue with the length just because the hit was pretty bad. And it's hard to explain it away from Tyson Berry's perspective because he's just not known as a physical player. He he saw a hit to come run in and take and then, like, did not notice, hey, I shouldn't make this hit anymore. I mean, I don't think he was headhunting. He probably said, I'm a short guy. There's no way I'm going to hit his head, but, you know. Now, he saw, here's my opportunity to lay a strong hit on a guy. I'm Tyson yeah. Berry. That doesn't come around very often. And, I right. and he, def he wasn't head hunting, but he was certainly hit hunting. Like, he had no idea the puck didn't follow. Yeah. This, 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 is, this goes back to what I was saying before about this directive of the bigger, harder, more frequent hitters. To see the hit totals in a game against the Ducks and that the Avs were 
it was so lopsided in the Avs' favor says something. It, 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 you know, this is a new identity for this team, and I, I just question this thought process because something like this happens with Barry. Barry would not have been going for that hit if the directive wasn't be, wasn't from the coach, be bigger, tougher. Because why would Barry all of a sudden decide, hey, I'm going to start looking for hits? That's not his game. Unless the coach said, hey, everybody, start looking for hits. Now, I'm not excusing Barry, Barry from what he did. He, it was a bad hit, and it was a late hit, and it was a dumb, dumb move. But where does Barry, Tyson Barry, get the impetus to go for a hit like that in the first place? That's a good point. Um, you know, it's it's certainly out of character for him. To, I mean, he doesn't shy away from contact, but... Um, he doesn't search it out, though. That's not his uh, game. Yeah. It's never been his game. It's never going to be his game. He doesn't have that kind of leverage. He's 5'10", and he's got a 5'10 frame to fit. He's stocky, though. I mean, if he hit somebody that was his size, he'd knock him flat, but... But he's in a league that's not yeah. his size. But it, yeah, exactly. And he doesn't need to because usually he just gets the puck and starts skating away with it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and it wouldn't have been that hard for him to do that in that situation if he had yeah. noticed that Ricard Raquel had picked it up. But anyway, that leaves the Avalanche with a nice gap in their decor. Their second pairing is half missing. How do you think it's going to shake out um, tonight um, so that we can be nice and wrong when people listen on Monday? And how do you think it'll shake out for the rest of the week? I would love to see Gormley in there. I'm not convinced it's going to happen, but that's what I want to see is him playing. I think Gormley will get at least one game. I don't know if it'll be tonight. Um, but I, I, I think they want to play him. And these three games coming up are, you know, they're, they're not tough opponents as far as the standings look right now. So I, I think Gormley plays either uh, Carolina or, or Columbus, maybe both. I think both, personally. Um, uh, L.A. is kind of in the same situation Anaheim is, where they're like, once the floodgate opens, they're going to start putting goals on the board. It just hasn't yet. Um, so I don't know if... With especially with the way that they stylistically kind of are the anti-Avs, I don't know if we'll see Gormley tonight. I would prefer to see Gormley as opposed to the Stuart Holden third pairing that we're likely to see. Um, <laughs> excuse you. But we'll see. I don't know. I, I wouldn't mind seeing him out there for sure. We traded for him. Might as yeah, well use him. This is just a textbook case for using a guy like that. I mean, it a guy that's new, hasn't played yet, hasn't—I don't know—hasn't had the confidence in the NHL yet. Um, you know, the two games coming up this week after LA look—you know—look like they're perfect for him. So obviously, we're not going to break up BJ and Boschman. That's your top pair. That's going to be your top pair. <clears throat> so, if you had to predict a second pair, well, what would you predict? Z and Gannon. Yeah. What would you prefer? Probably Z and Gannon. <laughs> Honestly. I mean, I'd, I don't like holding on the right side if I can help it. Um, whoever is going to be on the third with Holden, I think would benefit from had, having Holden there, and I can't believe I'm saying that either, but, um, you know, it's, it, Again, it's nice that we have a couple of games that, you know, we can play around with the defense like this. Um, ultimately, I'd say Gormley plays with Holden on the third pair and Gormley on the left side um, down the road. Probably for tonight, it's going to be Stu on the right side with him. Yeah, probably. And that pairing will happen. <clears throat> My voice is not going to make the hour, friends. 
I don't know if I've mentioned on the recording or not, but I have a little bit of a cold, and it will not go away. And so I can't think, and I click the wrong buttons, and I, I'm going to have to go back and do some editing more than usual today, and my voice is leaving my body, and <laughs> just general complaints. We're a really happy show today. Um, so that's my cue to shut up and ask you guys, hey, San Antonio's a team that's connected to the Avalanche, and you guys both have been paying quite a bit of attention to the last few days. Um, especially I've seen good about Agazino. I've seen good about Pickard. And I want to hear good. Well, they've both been fantastic. Um, Pickard had a shutout last night and was amazing. And they won 3-2 to two on Friday. Uh, their first line is just unbelievable. Um, it's Agazino, Ben Street, and Everberg. And they've just been killing everybody. Um I don't know, Cheryl. I mean, that's just—it's so fun to watch those guys because they're just—I mean—they're killing it right now. It's 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 absolutely crazy how good they are. Um, anytime there's a goal, if I've just been listening to the play, or if I haven't been and I just see a goal pop up, I'm like, oh, it's got to be Ag Street or Everberg because that that line is just insane. They're being used a lot now. Of course, they're getting a ton of minutes. Rightly so, because they have been so good. Um, but it's interesting to see what's happening with the other lines in response. I liked the fact that um, Hisham was moved. Uh, it was last night, right? That yeah. he was moved to the other line. And I, I liked that better because I think that he was he he's getting more offensive options with Petrick and... Um, Bork than he was getting with Cleish and uh, um, 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 who was he playing with? Smith. Smith. Hold, hold, with on, Smith hold on, hold on, hold on. Joey Hishin was playing with Cleish? No, yes. he, was play, he was playing with, uh, he was switched with Cleish. Um, they had, Dean had him with, with Colin Smith and they're basically okay. redundant and they kind of cancel each other out. So he moved Hishin down to the third sort of there. It's basically two second lines, and Cleish up to the the second. And it, it, it's sort of nice because you know, Hishin and Smith were redundant, and and Cleish and Petrick were redundant, and now it kind of spreads it out and you know makes the lines more balanced. That makes sense. Yeah, but it, it you know as good as the first line is, nobody else is really scoring much. Um, Redmond has been really good this weekend. He, he had a couple of goals and some assists and, and after a really bad first game. Um, but, you know, they need to get those other guys going. But, I mean, maybe they don't. I mean, Street is leading the league in assists. Agazino's tied for third in, in, uh, in goals. And both those guys are tied for second in, in overall scoring. And don't they have one fewer game? Yeah, there, I mean, there's some teams that have had five games, and, and the Rampage have only had three. Um, and Streets, he's averaging six shots on goal a game. I mean, he's just ridiculous at getting the puck on the net. Um, but overall, it's it's really nice to see this team kind of playing well right off the bat. Um, the defense is a little funky, just because basically everyone's new. And nobody has the same partner they did last year. But, you know, over this weekend, they really started to gel. I mean, Bigger looks fantastic moving the puck. And, you know, he's a lot more offensive than a lot of people give him credit for. Um, you know, there's there's a lot to be excited about for this team. I'm definitely impressed with um, their ability to stand up the opposing team at the blue line. It's one of the repeated scenarios or at least from what I've seen over each of the games is announcers saying, you know, insert opponent team name here is having trouble getting into the rampage zone over and over and over. They struggle it and they end up having to dump and chase. Oftentimes it's very hard to carry in the puck against the rampage. And um, I'd like to see the abs do some of that. But um, but it's really really nice to see. I like that. I'd yeah, like the Avs to have the personnel to do that. 
because we've got some really poor gap controllers. I don't. I mean, it's not like the Rampage are all that awesome too. I mean, they have rookies and they have some, you know, some vets, but some offensive guys. But they still manage to make it work. I mean, Randy Latticer has been doing this for a couple of years now. I mean, if he can do it with people like you know Noro and and <clears throat> um, you know last year the crew that they had still managed to make that work. Um, you know, I, I think the Avs could do it if they wanted to. I mean, it's just that. The Rampage play totally different than the Avs do. They're really big on the floor check. They're really big on short control passes through the neutral zone when they can do that. I mean, you look at a game like that and you're just like, God, you know, why can't the Avs do things like this? How do you guys feel about that, about the uh, the farm club playing a different kind of system than the big club? It's weird. You know, it's I, I think... I remember when Paul Carey came up last year, and he, you know, he said it was different, but it's just it, I'm not sure if it, if he thought it was that much better, just because the Avs play such a perimeter game and such a fast break game that they don't do a lot of the, you know, really heavy two man four checks and and really challenging at the um, at the defensive blue line and and making opponents earn the inches in the neutral zone. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, I, I I would love to see that system or parts of it make their way up to Colorado. I agree. I've been enjoying watching the Rampage. I, I find them a more entertaining team to watch now than the Avs. To be honest, I like the I like the way they play. They're um, they they're aggressive, like you said, aggressive forecheck. They're aggressive on the penalty kill. Um, it's it's a very exciting style of hockey to watch. Yeah, I mean they're. I mean the penalty kill last year, they had fifteen shorthanded goals. I mean it, they're just you know, the, and and the Avs are starting to bring a little bit of that in this year. At least I hope they will. But in preseason, they definitely were, you know, with McKinnon killing penalties and other top six guys in there. I mean, if you have fast guys that are good puck handlers killing penalties, I mean the sky's the limit because. I mean, you only have to beat one guy and you're gone. Some organizations have had a lot of success just plugging in their call-ups because they're, both clubs play the same system. So that's something that does kind of give me a little bit of pause to hear that you know, maybe they don't quite play the same way because that means when maybe somebody like Dennis Everberg has to be an injury call-up. Injury call <laughs> He's a ninja. Yes, we have we have Eberberg Sama join the Avalanche. We may have uh, maybe more growing pains than quite necessary if the if the system is different. I, I don't. I'm not sure because you know the AHL is basically third line hockey, yeah. and when these guys come up, that they're going to be playing bottom six. So you know, for for the kind of hockey you want to play. You know, and the kind of hockey we're, we saw with the, the first incarnation of the fourth line and what we're seeing with the Avs' bottom six now, they're kind of playing more of that system um, than the top six guys are. So I, I, I don't think it'd be that harsh of a transition. Well, fair enough. So that's been, I'm guessing, two wins in a row over Grand Rapids? Yeah. yeah. Which is mini Detroit? Yep. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, the Rampage are, are two zero and one, and just because they don't go by points, they go by percentage because the California teams don't play the same amount of games. Yeah, that's wonderful. It is fun. Um, so they're they're fourth in the division because three teams haven't lost a game yet, but they have more points than the third place team if that matters. But they, they seem to be holding their own. I'm, I'm optimistic. Good to be optimistic about half of the organization. Um, yeah. Comets are 2-0 and too. Yeah, with uh, Spen uh, Spencer Martin's backing up for them, right? Yeah, he hasn't played yet. But opening <laughs> night and then opening home game, you wouldn't expect him to. 
I'm optimistic about the Avs. I think that they're going to get much better as the season goes on. By the end of the season, they're, we're going to have a really good team on our hands. I don't know if it's going to be in time to be able to make the playoffs or not, but I'm optimistic. I'm looking forward to it. As AJ said the other day, can we just fast forward to next year's team because then we're really going to be hot. Of course, we're going to have another Russian on the team by then, so that'll help. (laughs) Oh, Everyone thinks that's a foregone conclusion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think you're right. It's... Will I just it, sorry to interrupt. Happens. I just want to say before the joke leaves me that I think that move would be crazy. <laughs> Input your own sad sad trombone here. I do not have one on the podcast soundboard. Someone on MHH had the best line about that. <laughs> you know, what do you think about Rads joining the team? <laughs> I think it'd be ten pounds of crazy in a five pound bag. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> But I don't know. I, I, I am optimistic as well. It's just, you know, is every is everyone going to find out how to play with each other soon enough? This season, I don't think so. It could happen. But it could it, happen. Oh. <laughs> um, Varley may turn it around for another 925 season. It could happen. Yeah, I mean. It's just we're unlikely. In a, yeah, we're we're in a slightly better spot than we were at this point last year. So, if anything else, it's way more fun to watch than last year. Yeah, I mean the goal differential—it's positive. Zadorov <laughs> alone is just a pleasure to watch. I, I, one of the strongest—we were talking forechecks earlier. One of the strongest forechecks we had in that last game was Zadorov. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> way down low. <laughs> it was great. That was. Also, Zadorov versus Corey Perry. Dot gift forever. Yes. And he's definitely the best interview on the team. I, I, I could watch interviews of him every day. He's also. Uh, 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 damn it, man. He's, he's definitely been an awesome addition, is what I'm trying to, to make come out of my mouth. Yeah. Um, but let's look ahead to the rest of the week. Um, Colorado play tonight, which is probably last night for most of you. Um, in L.A. against the Kings, which, as, as we mentioned before, is another SoCal team that's kind of struggling to find the net right now, um, which is followed on Wednesday by home game against Carolina Hurricanes, which is another 8 o'clock local start, which is due to NBC's exclusive window for rivalry night. Um, Saturday, the Avs are home again against the Columbus Blue Jacket squad that's had a huge amount of trouble keeping the puck out of their own net. Um, they've had the Bob Cop telling the media that he has no confidence, which is always a good sign. And no dinner at the owner's house either. Seriously. Um, I didn't see how they performed with McElhinney, but I can't imagine it being a whole lot better than getting beat 6-3 by the Maple Leafs. And Saturday is the debut of the new Avalanche third jersey, by the way. So look forward to that new look. I know I am. Huh. All right. That's cool. Yeah. I was curious. I was like, we're a couple weeks into the season. When are you going to unveil the thirds? And the website said Saturday. And I said, oh, thank you. It's weird that you said that out loud, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm just going to put my balls on the table and say we're going to get six points. Three wins. Six for six. I'm going for four. I'm going to do three. How do you think they will get these four points? Uh, I think they're going to win, lose, win. Okay. I handcuffed myself last week by saying that they would get three points between Boston and Anaheim and L.A. They've already got two. So they can't get more than one tonight. So I have, this week I have to have no more than five. And I think four is the number. And I think it's kind of a... Kind of the same situation as uh, as what you had to say there, Cheryl. Except I kind of think L.A. might get it together tonight. And then we have wins over Carolina and Columbus. Hopefully big. Please be big. 
Yeah, I mean, Wednesday's rivalry night. I mean, Nordiques, Whalers, that was big. Yeah. Why don't <laughs> we have a throwback big. night on Wednesday? God damn. <laughs> Get those sweaters out there. That would be sick. Don't the NHL actually have the rights to the Nords, though? Yep. And the Whale. Oh, so the, so the league could step in and say, hey, this has to happen. Yep. Batman, I know you're listening. <laughs> this is your chance. Baby blue on green. Really we don't even have to have whites out there. Baby blue on green. Oh, yeah. How sick would that be? <laughs> Get whites out of the league. Unless white is like, unless your team's black and white like LA, then you can have a white jersey, I guess. If it's your stormtrooper mystique. I don't like LA. You guys figure that out yet? I don't like LA. <laughs> All right, so we've got six, four, and four. I think are the points predictions out of us today. You look so smart. If, so if smart. That happens. My other question was about goalie usage, and we already talked about it. We're hoping to see Varley on Wednesday or Saturday, depending on tonight. Um, I'd rather not see. Barra start all week, even if he doesn't give up a goal all week. Because I don't want to see Varlamov sit on the bench for that long. And we don't want to adopt the win-until-you-lose philosophy about goalie usage either. No, and and there's a strong reason for that. That guarantees that you will have a shit goaltending night. It just guarantees that both guys will be really cold when they come in, too. There's is that, and you're by definition setting yourself up not to switch your goaltender out until he has an awful night. <clears throat> and as we found out last year, every point in October still counts. <laughs> so, hopefully we're looking for better results um, this week than last week, and hopefully better process as well, because it's been um, not pretty. Two points and neither of them pretty. But I think they had to do that, though. Yeah, Anaheim's a team that's going to dominate them. It, it's not just that. I mean, you know, I think both wins have been sort of ugly, um, and, and I, I think it, that's just sort of how they have to play. You know, until things start getting set. I mean, you know, we really don't have the bottom four defensemen set as far as who plays with who and when and how often. Um, you know, there's a lot of up and down in the line so far. I mean, you know, when, once everything is pretty set as far as lines and pairs, you know, I, I think things will gradually start working their way northward as far as possession and controlling the puck. And hopefully we can maybe bring some, bring some ice time down for some of the forwards that are getting relied on a lot and bring some ice time up for the others. Just Keep people fresh when the game gets late. It's a lot easier to play with four lines. Any other closing thoughts? Rampage open up at home against Stockton on next Saturday night, so look for that too. Stockton, where is Stockton? Used to be, where's Stockton? I don't know. It's it's in California. Okay. Uh, That used to be the Adirondack Flames. Ah, okay. Which means, so wait, is this the same squad that also used to be the Abbotsford Heat? Yes. And the Omaha XR Ben Knights. <laughs> so, like, are they still the same asshole club that the Abbotsford Heat used to be? Um, I'm sure. You know, they're a big team. They're <clears throat> physical. Um, they haven't played that great yet, but... Um, you know, we'll see what they bring. They got Mitch Hurd, so someone's going to get boarded. <laughs> oh, man. Cheryl, you have any closing thoughts? I do not. Then I'm wrap- I'm going to go ahead and wrap it and shut it down. All right. Thanks, guys. Um, make sure to check out the work from Cheryl and others at BSN Avalanche. And make sure to get through your latest Avs news and updates and discussion and rosturbation and flame wars and whatever else you might want. Um, everywhere else, milehighhockey.com. 
Uh, Facebook.com slash MileHighHockey and Twitter.com slash MileHighHockey is where you can follow us to make sure you get the newest and latest updates. Follow the podcast on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com slash MileHighHockeyPodcast or MixCloud.com slash MileHighHockeyPodcast. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes so as soon as the show goes up, you can get it to come down right to you. And make sure to tune in to the game tonight. It's a late one, so you may have to fall asleep to it. I don't know. I, I think that if California wants to join our league, that they should just come a little closer. But that's just me. We'll see you all next week. Have a good one, everybody. Alright, so probably no mic. Oh well. It's sad, but oh well. He seemed like he really wanted to come on. That's pretty usual, and then something usually comes up with his kids or something, I think is what it typically is. Well, he's an engineer. Those trains have to run on schedule. <laughs>